This is an emergency broadcast transmission. This is not a test. This is an emergency broadcast transmission. This is not a test. Please remain calm. Welcome to the How to Survive the Narcissist Apocalypse podcast. I'm Chad the Impaler, and thank you for showing up this episode. Uh, with me this episode, I will have on a narcissist abuse survivor, uh, Janith, and she has a very interesting story, a, a big warning type, type of story when it involves the court system. But before I get to that, let's go through the regular Narcissism is a character trait that exists on a spectrum. A small amount of narcissism is healthy. A person with an unhealthy level of narcissism may be called a narcissist. At extreme levels, it may be diagnosed as a narcissistic personality disorder. For the purposes of this podcast, a person who exhibits narcissistic traits and or consistent pattern of a maladaptic narcissistic behaviors, regardless of whether it meets the diagnostic criterion or have a formal diagnosis, will be called a narcissist on this program. A person may be referred to as a narcissist on this program, even if it is more likely that they have borderline histrionic or antisocial personality disorder, as long as they exhibit narcissistic traits or behaviors. And now, with that out of the way, let's get to some other things before we actually get into the show. That being... Uh, I have trying, I've been trying to help someone behind the scenes uh, this week, and it's been a little difficult. I've, just, I've been communicating back and forth, and the biggest problem I have, this person has uh, children, two children, is dependent on their partner, doesn't work, has uh, no financial leg to stand on, and lives in a very, 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 very small town. So finding resources for this person has been impossible because of how far away they are from anything. So if anyone out there has any recommendations uh, for me to try and help this person because, you know, the person has called the uh, domestic abuse uh, national hotline and it just seems very frustrated of what's going on. So if anyone has any expertise in, in this situation or is from a small town uh, that has no resources, can you uh, email me at chadtheimpaler99 at gmail.com. One day I will get that email fixed to be uh, more adult-like than what it is right now. But it would be greatly appreciated if someone has been in this type of situation, it is from a small town, and how you were able to, to get out of it. Because this person seems, uh, it just feels very hopeless right now. After that, uh, let me just say uh, thank you for subscribing uh, to our podcast and the people that have reviewed our podcast. It's much appreciated and sent in notes. For the new listeners out there, keep subscribing and uh, give us some nice reviews. It helps us out a lot. After that, we got here on my list of things to talk about or to go over, uh, the Reddit. People have signed up to the Reddit. We got, I think, around 25 members so far. Uh, Every episode, I I post some stuff on there about the episode. But this week, you know, this this is coming out on a Monday. And today, I'm actually going to be recording with a lawyer. Uh, I can't say the name. They wanted their anonymity. And we will be discussing the court system and preparation for court, 
preparation for everything, have everything have to do with children. They sent me an outline this week of what they wanted to go over. And when I say that this, not this episode, but the one following is a must listen for a lot of people. This is a good episode to segue into that because of the mistakes that might have been made by uh, Janith uh, that could have been, they couldn't, it, well, actually, it could not have been avoided. You'll, you'll find out why. But just to be more aware of certain things, uh, the episode that we'll, I will be releasing uh, on Friday, uh, so four or five, five days after this episode comes out, it is going to be such a big episode, an important episode for a lot of people uh, figuring out how to navigate this court system, what to look for, uh, books to read, all, everything to get yourself prepared for what's going on. Uh, I know, I, even though I haven't recorded, uh, recorded the conversation uh, I, any, uh, so, so far, I have not, I'm fumbling over my words. So far, I have not recorded it, but based upon the outline that was sent to me, it's going to be a brilliant episode. It's, it's, it is going to be so helpful to everyone. And I will be posting the contents of that uh, as soon as I can after the interview onto uh, the Reddit page. And the Reddit page is Narcissist Apocalypse on Reddit. So it's reddit.com slash r slash Narcissist Apocalypse. And the N and the A are capitalized. So Narcissist is capitalized. A is capitalized. But really, to be less confusing, go to Reddit and type in Narcissist Apocalypse with the capital N and the capital A, and you'll find our subreddit. Sign up. I'll have the information from the future episode up there as soon as I can after I speak to uh, the lawyer today. But it's going to be very useful for everybody, and I can't say enough about everything she's already sent me, and that is all I have to say about that. And before we begin this episode with Janith, who was lovely, I just have to say that there was a drop, the call did drop at one point on this, uh, on this uh, conversation, so if you hear a weird cut, that's kind of what happened. Uh, it happens sometimes. I'm not a, uh, a technical genius when it comes to editing, so it might sound a little weird. You may notice it. You may not notice it. And that's all I have to say about that one. And I'm trying to think anything else happened this week. I won't, I've already gone on six minutes on this intro, so let's just uh, get into the show. So without further ado, here is my conversation with Janith. I am here today with Janith. How are you doing, Janith? I am doing well. So from what I understand of your story, uh, you are probably dealing with someone of the sociopathic uh, nature or extreme narcissistic personality disorder uh, and are having a lot of uh, legal troubles in your, uh, with co-parenting. Uh, and it's actually an even bigger story uh, than that. I'm not going to get into it. I'm just going to uh, get out of your way and give you the floor. Okay. <laughs> My ex at church, um, I'm a Christian, and I was serving in the kids' ministry at church, and so was he. And so he appeared to be someone that I would be interested in getting to know. Um. We, be, you know, we were friends first, and then he pursued a relationship with me, and we ended up getting together. And in the beginning, things seemed really perfect. He seemed like 
the perfect guy, everything had I had dreamed of. I even thought, you know, he must be the one. He must be from God, you know, created just for me. Um, and then there were, you know, times while we were dating where I saw a different side of him, but because it was so, in, on, you know, infrequent, then I dismissed it and, you know, continued being in that relationship with him. And after we got married, things just got really, really horrible really quickly. Um, he was attempting to change everything about me. You know, he didn't like how I wore my hair all of a sudden. So he would, you know, put my hair bands off. He didn't like my makeup, so he would wipe it off. You know, he criticized my dressing. He criticized how I walked, how I talked. Everything I did all of a sudden was just wrong. And I did not understand, you know, what was going on. I was just really confused at the beginning. And, you know, he was just really mean, really critical. He shut down all the time. It was always just unexpected. You know, I would think that things were fine. And then he would stop talking to me and he would leave. So I would start, you know, asking what's wrong. What did I do? How can I make it better? Because I still thought this was, a great person and if he's acting in this way something must have gone wrong and then I started telling him you know you were being you know he's being emotionally abused me it's not okay we need to talk to somebody maybe ask your mom talk to another woman let's go to therapy and he wasn't willing to do anything but I just spent a whole lot of time trying to convince him that something was wrong and he needed help and you know I was pregnant really, I was pregnant before we got married. So, you know, while we were, you know, I was pregnant, all of this was going on, which made it even more difficult. And I was in law school at the time. I was, you know, about to take the bar exam. And I was so overwhelmed that I almost just didn't, you know. And I told him, I'm just not going to take the exam. I can't do it right now. And he was super supportive of me not taking it, even if we had just spent so much money for me to prepare to take it, which I didn't understand. But at the time I just thought, oh, he's so great. He's so supportive. You know, he's not making me feel bad about not wanting to do this, not realizing that he did, he had an issue with the fact that I was succeeding, you know, earlier than he was, he was still in school himself and not close to graduating. And he had this huge issue with me finishing school before him. And then, you know, we kind of just ignored the problems, you know, and then I ended up having a second baby. And, you know, I, you know, I talked about leaving a whole lot. I talked about wanting to move to Georgia a whole lot. We lived in California at the time. We did end up moving to Georgia right before my daughter was born because at that point I just felt like I was going to have a miscarriage because things were so bad in our relationship. And I just knew that if I didn't get out, you know, of that situation, she was going to die. So I just, you know, pressed the issue until he eventually agreed. We moved to Georgia, had our daughter, and he somehow got me to move back to California after that. And then we were back, you know, in California for a while. Once my second baby was 11 months, I decided it was time for me to, you know, go to work. I went to work as an, as an attorney at a family law firm. And 
things got even worse then. And I didn't know it at the time, but now looking back, I can see that whenever I was doing something, you know, for me or something, you know, succeeding or, I guess, progressing, you know, further than he was, he just tried to sabotage it really bad. And so after I went to work, you know, at some point he, he talked about therapy. And I had been asking to go to therapy for our entire relationship. We tried it for a short while before my daughter was born. So I was so excited that he was now bringing up therapy and he was willing to go. And so, you know, I was all for the idea. And we get to therapy. And I found out in therapy that the reason why we were there was because he was claiming that I had accused him of rape. And since I accused him of rape, he don't think, you know, we can be together. I was super shocked to hear that because I had never accused him or anyone else of rape ever in my life. So I had no idea what, where that came from. But we spent the entire time in therapy talking about this thing that never happened. And then it started being the only topic he wanted to talk about at home. He would call me, you know, at work and say, let's go to lunch. And we'd go to lunch. And then that's what he wanted to talk about. And no matter how many times I said, this never happened, I don't believe that, I never said that about you, I would never say that, he just wouldn't drop it. He was just using this thing, and it was driving me crazy. And, you know, we couldn't move forward, you know, because of this, because we would go to therapy, he would say, this is a problem in our relationship, you know, she needs to say that she'll never say this again, or we're not going to be together. I'll say, I never said it in the first place. So, you know, that's easy. I won't say it because I've never said it. We would get home, you know, he would go back to, he doesn't want to be with me. We'd go to therapy. I would say, he said he doesn't want to be with me. He would say, that's a lie. I never said that. I don't want to get a divorce. So we were just going through this crazy cycle. I couldn't focus at work anymore because I had no idea what was happening in my relationship. And things at work were starting to hit way too close to home. You know, I was seeing myself, my future self in some of my clients' situation. And I just knew that was not what I wanted. That was not what I wanted my life to be, you know, 10 years down the line. So at some point I told them, you know what, I need to get out of here. I can't take this anymore. I'm going to move to Georgia, you know, with the kids. I said, you can move to Georgia if you want also but I'm not staying here anymore. He, you know, shut down, stopped talking to me. I tried to get him to talk about it, talk about how he's going to see the kids. He refused to have any conversations with me. I wrote him a letter, just pretty much breaking down the letter, letting him know this is what's going on. This is how I feel. You know, it's not okay. I need to get out of there. I don't, I don't hate you. I'm not trying to leave you, but for my mental health, I have to remove myself from the situation right now. He didn't respond, and so I just went ahead with my plan to move. After I moved, that's when he started back talking to me. He tried to convince me to come back. He said, we can work things out. I said, you know, I'm not coming back. I'm staying in Georgia. If you want, you can still move over here, and we can try to work things out, but I'm not coming back. And a week after I left, he filed for divorce, and he claimed that, I adopted our children. And so, you know, the day that he filed for divorce, we actually spoke earlier that day after he'd already gone to court. But before I found out he filed for divorce, he video called like normal, 
We talked like normal. Everything, everything seemed fine. We got off the video, and then I got a call from his attorney saying that he'd filed for divorce and that, you know, he said I abducted the kids and they were demanding that I brought the kids back. So I had just you know, quit my job and left a week later. And I told his attorney that, you know, I didn't have any money to fly back to California at the time to drop all the kids or even to attend the upcoming hearing. You know, I said he can, he's free to come get the kids from me. I'm not going to keep him from taking them since, you know, he went to court and lied and got these orders. But I'm not going to come back to California. They were refusing. You know, they were saying, you need to bring them back, which really wasn't the case. I said, if he wants them, he can come and get them. And I, you know, also let them know that the hearing that was coming up in just two weeks, I was not going to be able to make that either. But if he did go ahead with this and he did, you know, really go out get the full custody that he was now requesting, you know, once I was able to... I, come back and challenge you and let the judge know what's really going on and get the kids back home. Well, he did go to the hearing, but I wasn't informed about it. His attorney never served me, you know, the orders after the hearing to let me know that they'd gone to the hearing. He was granted custody. I hadn't heard from him, from my ex, you know, since he'd filed for divorce. Four days after the hearing, they I sent him a video of our son asking for him, and that's the t you know when we got back into contact. So that it had been 18 days of no contact at that time. I never heard from his attorney again, and then nine after I had been there, I found a note on my door from a sheriff in my state, you know, saying to call them as soon as possible. I called the sheriff's department and they told me that, you know, he, the sheriff had came by earlier to try to serve me because there was a hearing in a couple of, a couple hours later, there was going to be a hearing in my state, in my county court, because my ex had flown out here with a, an investigator from the district attorney's office, you know, and it had to do custody of our kids. I went to the hearing, even if I had two hours notice, because I just wanted to know what was going on. And I learned at the hearing that he'd filed, you know, he'd received full custody, you know, nine months, maybe eight months prior. They were claiming that I was violating the orders and I was refusing to return the kids. He claimed that I was hiding the kids and he didn't know our whereabouts. And then they got the district attorney's office involved to help them locate the kids. Even though the entire time, you know, he had my address, he had my address before he filed for divorce, his attorney had my address, you know, because he asked for it when he first contacted me about my ex filing for divorce. So he also had it. And my ex had sent, you know, birthday presents to our son at my address. It had his mail forwarded from my address. So he definitely knew my address, but to get the district attorney's office involved, he and his attorney were lying and saying that I was, you know, hiding the keys and I wouldn't let them know where we were. So once, you know, that happened and they came out here, they came and took the keys and he left with the kids. I was actually taking the Georgia, I had to take the Georgia bar exam around that time because now I was studying over in a new state. So when they came for the keys, five days later, my exam was scheduled. 
And again, I almost just didn't go take the exam because of him. And I had to, you know, stop and say, you're doing this for your kids. You can't let him take that away from you. So I went and took the exam. And then right after I flew out to California, you know, filed emergency orders to let the judge know what was going on, how they'd been lying, you know, to the court. I brought all my evidence because all our communications had been through text. And then he, I had emails between myself and his attorney. So I went and brought all, you know, my evidence and the judge rejected my request. I went back the next day and filed another one, you know, and letting them know that I was concerned about my kids because they're not safe with him. And so at that time, the judge scheduled a hearing. So I went to my first hearing, and at, when I went to my first hearing, I really thought, you know, at that time that the judge, who was very new, the judge had been, you know, in family court for only three months when my, you know, he made the orders for my ex, when my ex filed for divorce. So I thought, you know, I could go in, just let the judge know everything that had been going on, and it would be all fine, you know? At that time, I just thought that the judge did not know what he was doing. He did not follow proper procedures. He never, you know, required them to file a proof of service. There had been no proof of service filed in my case, so there was nothing to indicate the court that I had been served anything. Mm. And the judge still found me in violation of orders, even if I had never been served as others. So I just thought the judge did not know what he was doing, but I could go and clear it up. I went, and it was clear right away that the judge had already made up his mind about me. He had believed everything they told him. He wouldn't let me talk. You know, he was just yelling at me whenever I would try to speak up and correct what he was saying. He would threaten to kick me out of his courtroom. You know, he was dangling a visitation with my children, you know, over my head. Like, you know, do you want this visitation with your kids? I'm trying to let you see your kids, you know, as a way to shut me up. And I really just still pushed to talk because the things that he was saying on the record were incorrect. And I had evidence that it was incorrect. And it was clear that he had not even looked at any of my evidence. You know, he was telling me how I was keeping the kids from my ex and he didn't know where I was and all this stuff. And I said, that's not true. I turned in evidence to show you that he had my address and I would have to force the judge to then go look through my stuff and see, you know, that he did have my address. And so I had to do that a few times. And it was clear that the judge had no idea what had really gone on. But he still, you know, even though I was showing that they had been lying, he didn't care. You know, he still just went on defending them, defending whatever they said, you know, and he decided that he was just going to keep the kids with my ex. Even though, you know, I tried to submit evidence of abuse then because I had, you know, pictures and I had um, a lot of emails between us talking about what he was doing to me. So I tried to submit evidence. He wouldn't look at it. He told me I needed to go ahead and submit it, you know, for the next time. And he continued the case to a later date. He claimed it was because we didn't, you know, he gave different reasons why he said it needed to be continued. But he said, you know, we didn't have mediation and it definitely wasn't the petitioner's fault. The petitioner is my ex. And, you know, at the time, I was wondering how would the judge know 
you know, that we didn't have mediation and how would he know that it wasn't my ex's fault? So I started realizing that he and the attorney were having conversations, you know, outside of the, the court and he was having, you know, this inform information, you know, that isn't on the record. He also talked about our hearing in Georgia, what happened at that hearing, what I said and did not say at that hearing, which he would have had no way of knowing because it wasn't on the record and we had not discussed it in court. So I just at that time realized that the judge <laughs> was also against me. So now I was dealing with fighting, you know, against my abusive ex and his attorney, you know, who was lying to the court and committing perjury and now to a judge that was biased against me for I mean, I had no idea why at that time. And so after that happened, you know, I started my blog. I started a blog to just let people know what had been going on, what I had been dealing with. Um, before that, I did not talk about my relationship. No one knew I was in an abusive relationship. No one knew, you know, what I was dealing with, not even my mom. My mom knew a little bit, you know, at the end, just because I was leaving and she needed to understand, you know, I wanted her to understand why I was moving at the time, you know. And so I had opened up a little bit about it, but no one really knew what I had been dealing with. So I just put it all in my blog and then, you know, caught up to where I was at the time dealing with the court. And I started posting about the judge and the attorney. I filed, you know, complaints against them both. And I asked the judge to recuse himself, which he refused to do. And since then, I have just been, I guess, really fighting the judge and the attorney just to get the truth out because the judge wouldn't let it, you know, out. And the attorney was really just very comfortable with committing perjury and lying, you know, to the court. And now, after, you know doing all of that, I'm finally at a place where the judge, I guess because of all the, you know, the public posting and I've now asked him to remove himself twice, he's finally listening. You know, he's finally reading my documents. I just had a hearing on Monday, which wasn't supposed to be a hearing. I filed for emergency orders because my ex and his attorney were now trying to alienate me from my kids. You know, I tried to schedule a visitation with them and I am living in a different state from them. So I gave, you know, the two weeks notice that the judge required and they waited until a day and a half before to agree to it, which by that time it was extremely late and not enough time for me to plan a trip out to a different state. And the orders that I currently have is the judge said I could have up to a week of visitation, but I have to fly to California for it. I, it has to be monitored because supposedly, I guess, they think I might try to abduct the kids. So it has to be monitored. Um, we have to agree on a monitor, and it could either be, you know, someone that we agree on or it could be a professional monitor. If it's a professional monitor, we both have to pay half of the cost for it. I have to pay for all my transportation on flights, hotels, everything to be able to exercise visitation. And the judge is aware that I am currently unemployed. So I try to, you know, as a judge, like, 
you tell the judge that this is impracticable for him to, you know, give me such a visitation that I'm financially responsible for knowing I'm unemployed. And then when I do become employed here, I don't believe I would be able to find, you know, an employer who is willing to let me take a week off every month to fly to California to have visitation with my children. But even if I pointed out to the court, you know, how that schedule didn't make any sense, he didn't care, you know, still what he ordered. And then, you know, it gave my ex so much control to make it difficult for me to have visitation because then he would just say, oh, um, you know, that's not a good time or, you know, he just wouldn't, his attorney just wouldn't respond in time. You know, they would just do little things to make sure I couldn't have the visitation. And then they started trying to limit the amount of time I spoke to the kids on video calls. And so that's what led me to fly out there and let the court know, you know, that now they're trying to prevent me from seeing the kids and talking to the kids. And we didn't have another hearing schedule until October. So that would be five months of this happening until we go into Octo- in October to meet with a custody evaluator. And it seemed that their plan was to keep the kids from me, you know, for that time. So by the time we go, you know, in front of the custody evaluator, it would look like the kids had a relationship with their dad and not one with me. And, you know, the judge was able to see, you know, see this time when I went, this was the first time where it seemed like the judge was either seeing, you know, what was really going on, or maybe he's just pretending now because I have, you know, been exposing him online and filing complaints against him and everything. I'm not sure what it was, but it was a completely different hearing than those we had in the past, and he did call out the attorney and my ex for, you know, attempting to prevent me from seeing the kids, and he did ask them to cooperate and to, you know, not make it so difficult for me to have my visitation. That's really where I am right now. I didn't get to see them because, you know, the attorney was upset, and then he didn't, you know, try to schedule with, you know, the monitor that I wanted to use until... After five, and by that time, um, it was very difficult for her to change her schedule around because he was telling me, you have to watch her 24-7. You know, it has to be you. You can't, wherever you go, you have to take her. You can't leave her. So she tried to cancel some of her appointments and stuff, and it was just too late to do any of it. So I wasn't able to see the kids, and I haven't seen them since. I saw them in April for four hours, and, you know, that's the last time I've seen them. And are you able, if you call, are you allowed to speak to them? I can video call them or call them and speak to them. Um, Usually, my no, you know, my ex would either answer or call back, so I do get to speak to them. So for other people, I mean, you're in this position and you're also a lawyer. A lot of people uh, could be in this position and are not a lawyer and have no idea how to navigate the system. So in in your experience uh, for other people out there that might be dealing with this or or it could be a possible thing in the future, uh, how are you going about uh, dealing with with, uh, I guess, the judge now specifically 
who you think is not being uh, fair in this case? And, and, and what are ways for people that don't know what to do? What, what can they do to um, not prevent this, but complain uh, about a judge? Or, or where do they go? Uh, what are their options? Yeah. So what I found, because I have been speaking to a lot of other people in the same situation, and a lot of people are just really afraid to stand up against the judge. They're even afraid to file complaints because they think that, you know, the judge will retaliate against them. But honestly, if you don't, then you're not, you know, if the judge is already biased against you and you don't do anything about it, it's not going to improve your situation. And um, every state has, like, a complaint board, um, I had to file to the one in California, is the Commission on Judicial Performance, but every state should have one. I found that some people don't even know that they can file complaints against the judge. And my first complaint against the judge was actually closed without an investigation. It's very difficult to get them to take complaints seriously. I am recently spoke to someone from the senator's office because I've, I've been contacting just everybody, you know? So someone called me back from the senator's office and, you know, we talked about filing a complaint and the fact that, you know, it doesn't get taken seriously. And she was giving me advice. She was just telling me to be very, we need to be very specific when we file a complaint to say exactly what actions it is that the judge did. So, you know, he was yelling at you. He was, threatening to do whatever, you know, like what his tone was like. We just need to be very specific in describing the conduct of the judge so that it can get taken seriously. And then, you know, you have to submit as much evidence as you have to send in your transcripts. She told me to highlight in my transcripts wherever the judge did something that was, you know, improper conduct to make it easier for the board when they're looking at my complaint to see, you know, the misconduct and that would motivate them to take it seriously. I think people definitely need to ask the judge to recuse himself from the case if, you know, the judge is biased or acting improperly. And I think that's what really got to my judge because I did did it twice. And honestly, I wasn't really supposed to do the second one. (laughs) You kind of get one shot, but I mean, I didn't care because I realized that he actually reads my complaints, you know, because he has to respond to it. He has to respond and let, you know, let it be known why he's not removing himself. So he's forced to read that. Mm. So I did too and let him know exactly what I thought he was doing that was wrong. And after I would file my complaints, when we would have another hearing, he would try to not do the same, you know, have that same conduct. Because he know now he's on guard, you know, he know now that I can go use that to show the appellate board or whoever else that he's taking these actions against me. So after I called him out for not allowing me to speak, not allowing me to enter my evidence, yelling at me, all this stuff, when I... Okay. Go for it. Okay, so yeah, um, I was saying... So after I, you know, asked him to recuse himself, he no longer, at the next hearing, he did not yell. He he spoke very calmly. He allowed me to talk, whereas, you know, before that he was cutting me off and wouldn't let me talk. He didn't threaten to, you know, kick me out of the courtroom. He acted completely different than he did before. 
he still, you know, made his biased, you know, decisions, but he tried to appear to be fair. And then after I filed the next complaint, things got a lot better after that. So I think people really need to get over the fear of the judge, the fear of, you know, retaliation. I mean, I just, he know, he's very aware that I'm posting about him online. And the attorney actually, try, you know, tried to use it in court to say that he was afraid to say what he really needs to say because it's going to end up on my blog. And he asked the judge to give me a gag order, which the judge let him know that he couldn't do. Mm-hmm. But the judge is very aware that I'm posting about him. The attorney is very aware that I'm posting about him. And I will continue to post about them because they seem to care more, you know, know that the world is on notice of what they're doing. They seem to, you know, that would cause them to not want to act a little bit better, at least for the judge. The attorney still, you know, is, <laughs> does is there whatever a- he wants. Is there a place uh, were you able to find out that if the judge or the attorney had uh, um, complaints against them previously in similar cases? Um, I wasn't able to. The judge is still very new, mm-hmm. so I find another um, lady going. You know, who has the same judge who's going through the exact same thing as I am, reached out to me because she was looking up the judge and she found my blog. So she contacted me and we've been, you know, speaking about it and I've been speaking to her attorney about it. And, you know, I know that they're also filing complaints, but I'm not aware of if anyone had filed complaints in the past. But I do know that um, the commission that takes the complaint, they were just under investigation themselves for not doing their job. They just got audited recently. I think last week they just had, you know, an audit hearing about it because they were being called out for not taking complaints seriously and mostly in family, you know, family court cases. And, you know, there were all these stories of kids who ended up dead because, you know, the judge gave them to the abuser and all this stuff. And, you know, these people got to go to the hearing and tell their stories. So now they've claimed that they're going to make all these changes and things will be better in the future. So hopefully, you know, it does get better. But yeah, I didn't, I couldn't, tell if he had complaints against him already. And it seemed that even if he did, what something that they were not doing was they were not looking at his previous complaints whenever they got a new one. But that's something that they will do moving forward is to look at the history of complaints and to see if it's a pattern that's, you know, being repeated. So really this is a broken, a broken system you're dealing with and uh, it's very difficult to navigate a system that's completely broken because no matter what turn you're, you're going at, um, no one's communicating with each other or they just don't care. Yeah. Like, for example, like the attorney has been committing perjury. He's created now twice fake proof of service to claim that he served me documents that he didn't serve me. So like he, he claimed he served me something on July 3rd of last year when I pointed it out to the judge that he never served me and there was no proof of service filed. He came in after, so that's um, April of this year, and filed a proof of service. So now it's been a long time since he supposedly served me. And, you know, I've asked to see the evidence that I was served because he claimed he served me by mail and email. By mail, I can't prove anything, you know, but if he served me by email, an email exists. Mm-hmm. So I've been asking to see the email that he served me 
I asked in court, the judge didn't say anything about it. The judge said, well, you know, he signed the document and said he did it, so he did it. Can you sue, and, can you sue him civilly? I, I filed for him to be held in contempt. Mm-hmm. Um, so that hearing is coming up in August. And again, I'm requesting evidence because if he, if he certainly evidence exists, and if he doesn't have the evidence, the judge should hold him in contempt. And I did, you know, file for him to be charged, you know, for it. So I'm not sure if the judge will go ahead and find him in contempt or not. I don't know what's going to happen. I don't know where the judge is at with, you know. But is, is, it, is it the same judge or a different judge? It's the same judge. Oh, man, that's, that's, yeah. that's crazy. Like, if, yeah. if you sue him or do something in contempt, I thought it would be a separate case. And then if you could get a second judge in on it, then that maybe could bring it around. There's no possibility of that. No, just like uh, when I ask the judge, to, when I accuse the judge of being biased and ask him to remove himself from the case, the judge makes that decision himself. He decides to say, yes, I'm biased, or no, I'm not biased. So he makes all the decisions. So you've gone to the court system, the court system has failed you. You've gone to mm-hmm. uh, you, you've, the appellate system, uh, that is pretty much failing you. Uh, well, I haven't gone to the appellate oh, system you haven't gone, yet. Oh, uh, yet? No. So that would be so the I'm next still, step. Yeah, I'm still waiting to see how, you know, this goes. If he, you know, ends up making a final decision that is against what the facts and the law says it should be, then I would have to appeal. But right now I'm just trying to get him to do what he needs to do. I've, I've also tried to ask him to, to um, I've asked for a change of venue because my ex doesn't live in Los Angeles County anymore, which is where the case was filed, mm-hmm. and I don't Los Angeles County. My ex moved to Orange County right after he, you know, he got the kids in at the end of February. So I asked for the case to move to Orange County because at this point I just want a new judge, you know. Mm-hmm. But then now he's again moved to a different, a third county. You know, he's moved in with his parents with the kids after our last hearing. I think he got a place of his own just long enough to pretend that he had a place of his own to get the kids. And then once, you know, our next hearing was scheduled out for five months, he gave up his place and he moved himself and all kids into his parents' house. And the three of them are staying in this tiny office slash guest bedroom space. And how old are they? They're two and three. Two and three. So how are you doing right now? And like, uh, how is your, your everyday life and how are you coping through all of this? I honestly think I'm coping a lot better than I thought I would have been. I mean, when it first happened, I was just super concerned for them. Mm-hmm. And knowing that, you know, he's never taken care of them. He's never wanted to, you know, he doesn't care about anybody but himself. So I just was worried about what was going to happen to them. And plus, you know, they were very attached to me. I'm all they knew, mm-hmm. but I've learned that, you know, kids are resilient, you know, and as long as they seem to be doing fine, then I'm fine on days where they're crying and, you know, don't seem to be okay. Or I can't get a hold of them. Those days are hard, but if I get to talk to them and they look to be okay, then on this, those days I'm fine. Mm-hmm. And his parents, are they uh, nice people or, What's their story? Are you more comfortable that they're at least in the home with them? Not really, because I 
think that, I mean, he turned out to be who he is because he grew up in that toxic family. Mm-hmm. And they also appear to be really nice people. And before I learned that he was a narcissist, I, you know, I thought his family was fine. I knew that, you know, his parents had been fighting, you know, all their lives and he grew up, you know, wrong, all this fighting and, you know, he was very affected by it, but I didn't see it. You know, by the time I came around, they, you know, in my presence, they seemed to be really nice. They mm-hmm. seemed to be really caring. But after he did what he did, they all, his, all his family, who I thought I had a relationship with, they all kind of just stopped talking to me. And um, before I left, you know, I had started getting close to his mom. I started telling, talking to her about what he was doing to me. Mm-hmm. And she actually validated, you know, my feelings. She would either say, oh, yes, he does the same thing with me, or, you know, she would say that her husband did the same thing with her, you know, so she knew who her son was. She understood that, you know, the things I was saying that he was doing to me were true, but, you know, once I decided to leave because of it, she, of course, you know, just was going to start with her son and, you know, stop talking to me. Mm-hmm. So, uh, so now you're still in Georgia, yeah. Have you thought about moving back or no? No. No. So, no. Uh, so you're doing your part. Did, did you did you eventually uh, hire a lawyer? Even know you're a lawyer, or you're still doing it all yourself? I haven't hired a lawyer. Um, I I am very aware that his lawyer is just trying to make you know like make as much money as he can. Mm-hmm. And I know that if I have a lawyer, it will just be this whole game of racking up attorney's fees. Okay. Yeah. And I'm not, so I'm not even going to, you know, try to put myself in that situation. I mean, he has a high bill already and nothing has really happened in our case. Like we haven't resolved anything yet. Mm -hmm. So for someone who is not in your position uh, and this happened, I guess what advice, uh, well, actually there's another question. I had with, with the judge, are you not able, like maybe, is it illegal to bring your own, you know how you said you didn't have evidence of how the, the, the judge was acting. Are you allowed to bring a camera in for anyone in the future that might be in this uh, situation? Are you allowed to bring your own little camera in and videotape what's no. going on? No, you can, you can record at, in the court house at all. Okay. So, yeah. so all you have is the transcript. All you have is the transcript. And that doesn't really, that, give, that says stuff, but it doesn't really give the, uh, the tone of everything. Right, yes. So for people that are, are, are in your position that don't have any resources um, who might be dealing with someone, uh, I guess, uh, how would you redo things if you, if you could, uh, knowing what you do know now? Well, one thing that really has hindered me in, be, in being able to get, like, help you know, um, as a, an unrepresented party mm-hmm. is the fact that I live in a different state. So there are, you know, resources available in California, but they're available to their residents. Right. So they wouldn't help me because I don't live there. And then there are resources, you know, available in Georgia for their residents, which I could get, but because my case is in a different state, they cannot help me. So if you live in a different state, it's kind of almost impossible to get, you know, free Mm -hmm. help, legal help. Mm -hmm. If you do live in the same state as, you know, where your case is, then you have a better shot of being able to get, you know, some free legal aid. 
and having, you know, some help with that. And as far as you go, um, have you gone to uh, see to a therapist to deal with anything? Have you gone to your church? Uh, and where, what is your support system currently looking like? Um, I I spoke to a therapist, but I only had you know a session. I do plan to start going to therapy soon. Um, I just well, I, the bar results here just got re- released, so I just you know became licensed here, and now I'm trying to start. And then once I start working, I plan to also, you know, go to therapy sessions frequently. I think that would also be helpful in my case, just because I would be able to have something from a therapist say, you know, describing what I've gone through in in some kind of roundabout way. It would talk about who my ex is Mm -hmm. because he refused to, you know, go to a therapist. I've asked, you know, that he gets an evaluation, a psychological evaluation done which he's not volunteering to do, you know, anything willingly. But if I go to a therapy, I may be able to use, you know, get something that I can use to show that, no, I was abused. Mm-hmm. Because even concerning evidence, the judge is still saying he's not sure yet. He, you know, he hasn't made a decision yet on whether or not I was abused. Yeah, so I guess I, the one thing I guess to, uh, in a way you're saying is to document, document, document. As soon as you think something weird is going on, to really just keep uh, documents and evidence of uh, every little thing uh, possible because you never know what is uh, transpiring on the other end uh, of what the, your spouse and who his uh, flying monkeys or cohorts are, are up to. Yes. And the thing, the bad thing I did is I had my old, I moved out here with my old phone and I got rid of it earlier this year and there was a lot of evidence in that phone of just, you know, conversations which, which would have made it clear that he was abusive to me. Mm-hmm. But I kept my phone. So I lost all of that evidence. Uh, they, so you can't even go to uh, the phone company and ask them for it? Or, or does, is the only person to do that can be a police officer? They said that they can't, um, they don't have the content of the messages. So they can tell me who I text, but they can't tell me what the text actually said. Okay, so I guess in the future, if anyone's dealing with this, once you get these texts, uh, save them offline separately just in case something like this does happen? Yeah. And I used to always threat, you know, I used to always say, oh, you know, I should videotape this, but I never did. Mm-hmm. And now I wish that I did. But, you know, I never thought it was going to get there, so I never really thought I would end up needing, you know, the recordings. But now I wish I had them. So when did you realize that uh, when you came across like narcissistic personality disorder, when did you realize that's what you were actually dealing with? It wasn't after I went to court the first time. And when I came back from court, I started looking up, you know, emotional abuse because I was trying to then like find better language to describe what I was dealing with. So that I could, you know, write my response or whatever. And um, when I kept on looking up emotional abuse, the word narcissist kept on coming up. And I really wasn't familiar with narcissistic personality disorder at all at that point. But since it kept on coming up at some point, I thought, okay, let me just, you know, see what that is. And I read it and I realized that that described my ex perfectly. Mm-hmm. And and then from and then from there you were able to more once you piece that together you were able to make a more uh, 
I guess, semblance of your case uh, of understanding what was going on? If you didn't find that, would you have been able to get to this point or would you still, did, did you think you were crazy? If I didn't, if I didn't find that, I wouldn't, I wouldn't have gotten to this point before I, I was assuming, I thought he was depressed mm-hmm. because that was something that had came up before where he said he thought he might be depressed. And I jumped on that. So I was like, okay, that's probably what it is. That probably explains why he's treating me this way. And so at that point I was just thinking, okay, he's depressed, but this stuff wasn't really making sense with depression. And if I hadn't found, you know, that he was discovered that he was a narcissist, I would have still been stuck trying to piece together how his depression leads to all the other things that has happened. Mm-hmm. And, and I wouldn't have been prepared for all the lies in court. You know, I didn't expect that until I read about it and saw that this was common. And I learned, you know, how they act in court. And I learned to be able to, you know, like control my conversations with him instead of reacting, you know, know that I knew what he was doing and he was trying to get a reaction out of me, then I would, you know, know when to respond and when not to respond and how to, you know, not be in my emotions when I was talking to him. Mm -hmm. All right. So uh, before we sign off uh, on today's show, uh, what's the last thing uh, you want everyone to know uh, out there? uh, I guess uh, your experience, what, uh, is the biggest piece of knowledge you want everyone to have? Um, I would say definitely join, like, online support groups, you know, support groups in general. Um, The biggest help to me was joining all these support groups on Facebook and finding out that I wasn't alone and that there's so many other people who have the exact same situation, sometimes even worse, you know. I found so many people that are in way worse situations than I am in, and... um, just had so much support, people that I don't know that were strangers a couple of weeks ago now check in on me, you know, make sure I'm okay, talk about our different situations, and we give each other, you know, advice, and people call. So I would say definitely, like, you need support from people who are in the same situation. Mm-hmm. Because honestly, as much as my family care about me, they don't understand because they didn't deal with it. So uh, I just want to thank you for being on our show and uh, sharing your story today. And uh, for everyone else out there, if you're in the same uh, situation or think you're, you know, you're getting divorced uh, from a narcissist and uh, don't know what to do or you're in this type of position, uh, please uh, take everything, uh, all the advice that uh, Janith has and uh, learn from it and uh, be very cautious in your situation. And once again, thank you, uh, Janith, for being on the show. Thank you for having me. And that was my conversation with Janith, and she has not had it easy having your children taken away from you, not being able to really see them when you want, being in another state, having to deal with a completely broken system. Uh, it's not. I'm, it's not just not easy. It's. Uh, beyond frustrating, it's angering, it's unbelievable that this actually happened. And it, this Janith's story is a, a good story for everyone to hear because this kind of stuff happens and you have to maybe be one step, at, if you already know that your, your uh, partner is showing these traits of uh, narcissism or being a high conflict type person, then 
you have to prepare yourself for probably the worst and be aware that these things could be happening behind the scenes and you don't know that's what's actually going on. So just to remember to just record everything. And I don't mean record as in physically recording a voice, write everything down, keep notes, and because uh, these things happen. And people like the judge and the lawyer for her ex were uh, poor advocates. And I'm reading about those things now. They're called negative advocates. And it's something that happens in a lot of cases because the narcissist is very persuasive. And we're going to get into that in our follow-up episode with uh, the lawyer that I'm going to be recording today because some of the stuff that I went to read after she showed me this list of her outline was pretty amazing. So anyway, Janith, thank you very much once again for being part of our show. Uh, A lot of people are going to learn from uh, what you went through, and unfortunately you had to go through these things. But besides that, we're going to end off our show right here. Uh, You know, subscribe to our podcast, listen to it on any system you have, tune in, uh, Spreaker, uh, SoundCloud, iTunes, all of them, Google Play. So give us some reviews, send some nice things our way. And for everyone else out there right now who's having a difficult time, we're giving you big virtual hugs. Uh, Thank you for listening today. This has been the Narcissist, uh, How to Survive the Narcissist Apocalypse podcast. Thanks for listening. This is an emergency broadcast transmission. This is not a test. This is an emergency broadcast transmission. This is not a test. Please remain calm.